Welcome to Transformers, the podcast about how business people and policymakers are creating a sustainable future. I'm your host, Kai Embren. In today's program, my guest is Pankaj Bhatia. He is a deputy director of World Resource Institute's climate program and also global director of the Greenhouse Gas Protocol. As deputy director, he helps him manage one of the world's institute's largest programs, focusing on its flagship, the National Climate Action Initiative. Pankais is one of the leading experts of the greenhouse gas protocol standards and tools, particularly in the areas of corporate, scope three, mitigation action and city accounting. He led greenhouse gas protocol teams to develop seven new global standards as scope two and three, life cycle analysis, mitigation goals, policy and actions, the agriculture sector, cities, and to implement the new greenhouse gas protocol programs in key major economies, including China, India, Brazil, and Mexico. Welcome, Pankaj. Thank you, Kai. Uh, very, very happy to be here with you. Yeah, be before we start, Pankaj, I, I would like to say that to the listener that today's program will not cover all important solutions that is on the climate actions agenda. Today, we focus on how to measure the work of climate actions. So looking back in the history of the Greenhouse Gas Protocol, I remember our first dialogue we had in the meeting already in year 2001, involving IKEA and Fortum with Stockholm City, today named Stockholm Exigy, and several other companies from the Business Leaders Initiative on Climate Change, BLIC. The question that was raised by IKEA, we need a scope four so we can calculate the emission from our consumers and stakeholders, but the answer was no that time but the issue about scope 4 is still living and coming up now and then where is this discussion today regarding scope 4 pankaj thank you kai now on the scope 4 discussion i do remember that uh, conversation uh, was very intense vibrant conversation with the, the blick group and very very well thought out proposal on scope 4 uh, if i recall Correctly, I think the original idea of scope four was around accounting for market impacts from products sold outside a company's value chain. A value chain typically consists of, as I assume the reader, the listeners will know, uh, consists of scope one, two, and three. So <clears throat> the original idea was that there could be some impacts that can occur outside the value chain. And why, why not we try to capture them under a new category of scope four. Now, the reason why we did not pursue it at that time was because the way scopes framework was designed and the concept that we understood at that time was that it represents what is typically called an inventory framework. So it's like an annual footprint of a company, a physical footprint of a company <clears throat> from sources owned or controlled or from upstream or downstream impacts from materials purchased or products sold. However, uh, the idea at that time was that there are some market impacts um, 
unlike physical impacts, but there, there are some market impacts that lead to physical impacts that could be also captured. And we were not convinced that an inventory framework can also have an additional category of scope four, which will not be an inventory category. So, so that is why we were very doubtful at that time that uh, we should not be adding a, an, another scope, uh, which can cause confusion <clears throat> in the inventory reporting system, the way it was designed at that time. Mm. Well, uh, I understand that uh, both uh, the, the members of the Blick program and, and IKEA, they, they were very much of advanced in this discussion and they, they had high ambitions to, to meet the, the uh, climate targets uh, they had put up uh, in their programs. And I, yes. I think that uh, give them sort of, um, they, they couldn't find uh, where are we going to measure our most advanced program and activities in the company. But we can see when we look back that uh, IKEA and, and other of the companies uh, and Stockholm Exigy has been front runners in many of, of the climate action program with a good measurement method from the greenhouse gas protocol. They are, they are very much. And particularly, I would like to highlight IKEA, who has been a great partner for us in the greenhouse gas protocol. And now actually they are part of our, our uh, new conversation. Uh, which is around the land sector and which is where uh, it is quite possible that we may have uh, some interest uh, in the idea of scope four as an additional uh, category uh, that may be relevant to the land sector accounting. So I do understand that the work you are leading have many challenges when it comes to the nitty gritty facts and double accounting or other figures that, to calculate and build trustful framework or rules uh, for the climate change mitigation ambitions. So where do you see the challenges of today's greenhouse gas protocol? Um, I see there are three or four major issues that we <clears throat> need to tackle today in the greenhouse gas protocol work. I mentioned one of the issues uh, is on biogenic carbon accounting, <clears throat> where to account for carbon stock losses. So losses that occur uh, on the land when wood is harvested. And, and where do you account for associated biogenic emission flows within a value chain? For example, if when the wood is ex exported and it is used as a biofuel, emissions occur at that time also. In the present THG protocol, those emissions are also required, but they are reported outside the scopes. Now, I think the question is whether we should be accounting for those emissions within the scopes or outside the scopes. And how do you avoid double counting if also forest companies are accounting for uh, emissions from harvesting wood on their forest land? And so it has become really a big issue in the land sector accounting. We are planning to test two, or two options, uh, two options to understand better uh, from the results from the data. Uh, what would be the right approach. Then there is an issue of uh, land use change accounting. Um, how do you respond to increasing global demand for land use? And, and there we are proposing a new metric land tracking category, which may have uh, an element of uh, information on land occupation or carbon opportunity cost. And that may allow us to understand broader systemic effects from land uh, use category, uh, land use activities. The third important area is how do you account for CO2 removals? 
and their and and their storage duration over time across the different kinds of pools. So there is a land-based uh, pool, product-based pools, and geological pool of carbon. Issues of temporary versus long-term storage uh, come here in uh, deciding. Uh, what should be within the scopes and what should be outside the scopes, what kind of criteria we should follow to account for temporary versus long-term storage. So those are just in the context of the land sector. Then we also have new issues that are coming up in the context of net zero targets, science-based targets that companies are very eager that they should be able to demonstrate progress on their scope three impacts. Uh, the, 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 the scope three impacts uh, are multifarious and, and sometimes the improvements that companies carry out may occur in, in uh, kind of ways that are not captured in the current scope three framework. So we are looking into a kind of an approach which is currently being called insetting approach, similar to an offsetting approach, but with a simpler methodology that companies can use to account for their scope three improvements. So I would say these are the two major challenges. Uh, let us go into the discussion about new areas, uh, which also connecting uh, some of the um, technical tools uh, to remove emissions. But you know, we, we have the, the greenhouse gases today appears this year to be the highest uh, in as long as four and a half million years. And we continue to accumulate the greenhouse gases in our planet. So. When I look into the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, when they, and, and I read there in their reports that carbon removal is critical to achieve global emissions reduction targets by 2050. So, uh, and we have a discussion about the bioenergy with carbon capture and storage uh, called BEX, is one, uh, which is one of the solutions. So removal of emissions, negative emissions and climate positive are three of the issues in this discussion. So last week I had a dialogue with Anders Egelrud, the CEO of Stockholm Exergy. Anders was also with us in the discussion already 2001, as I mentioned before. But when I told him uh, some weeks ago that I and you should have a talk show about the greenhouse gas protocol, he said he needed advice in his work about the greenhouse gas protocol, about how to set up a framework related to negative emissions and to become climate positive. So let us listen to Anders' question. Dear Mr. Bautia, in order to reach the Paris Agreement, we can see that it is necessary not only to phase out fossil fuels, but also to include actions to promote negative emissions. What is your view on negative emissions and how can it be a vital part of the greenhouse gas protocol in order to secure and mitigate climate change? Well, thank you to Anders for a very good question and for a very timely question. Indeed, now we are uh, finally working on a new guidance on, on uh, removal of emissions. Uh, but just uh, I would like to uh, do a little bit clarification here on the various terms used. Uh, sometimes the term negative emission is used to mean any removal. 
but the way if we are looking at in the GHG protocol, negative emission uh, should be used only as net negative emissions. That means that it will be, for example, uh, direct air capture with geological storage. So not just direct air capture, uh, which will be a removal if it is, uh, but not a negative emission if it is re-emitted. So just a clarification that that it has to be negative emission would be a combination of a of, of storage also that it involve both removal and storage now the term climate positive generally means that how a company is having a, a positive broader impacts uh, through its products or business and to become climate positive of course uh, it is seen uh, that uh, accounting for removals and use of removals would enable companies to achieve such climate positive goals uh, and and so to really address this very important need but and and as was saying we are now bringing together a new systematic approach under the greenhouse gas protocol land sector guidance which is under development wri in partnership with wbcst uh, launched uh, this new uh, land sector and carbon removals initiative in January of 2020. Uh, this will produce the new standards and guidance for carbon removals and storage, land sector activities and biogenic products. We expect that companies will use these standards to inform their mitigation strategies like I think what Anders was ref referencing by understanding what are their removal impacts of, on land. Uh, they will be able to set targets and track performance around not just emissions, but also around uh, removals. And they will be able to report their GHG inventories that will include in the future, both emissions and carbon removals and report progress uh, towards GHG uh, mitigation goals. Uh, presently, there are a number of methodologies out there, but there is no common agreed approach. And, and most companies do not have methods for accounting for them. And that limits opportunities to reduce land sector emissions and meet THG targets. Um, we, we are considering, we're looking into a number of, I think, important questions that will be addressed as part of this new, guide, uh, new guidance, which I think Anders and many other companies will find extremely helpful, uh, such as how to include GHG removals in uh, your annual GHG inventories, in companies' annual GHG inventories. Currently, companies only report scope one, two, and three emissions, but then they will be able to report scope one, two, and three removals and also if we have additional reporting categories like i was mentioning earlier at least two additional reporting categories companies will be able to report them also then how to include land sector activities in in uh, from land management and land use change how to account for broader global impacts of companies how to account for biogenic emissions and removals related to bio-based products uh, such as bioenergy products wood products food biomaterials and how to also include GHG removal and emissions related to direct air capture in both CO2 utilization and CO2 storage pathways, how to differentiate uh, uh, GHG removals based on uh, their storage duration and storage pool, for example, whether it is land-based storage, product-based storage, or geological storage and, and the duration. And then how do you translate uh, these, these uh, uh, emissions and removal information into your GHG targets, particularly what would be most relevant for science-based target setting initiative for the land sector companies? So all these are extremely important questions and, and we are working on them in, in the new land sector guidance. Do you see any time 
schedule of uh, how this uh, work will progress? So it started in January of 2020. Uh, usually the, the more complex the standard is, it, it takes a much longer uh, timeline. We have done, typically our standards have been finished in two to three years time. The longest one took four years. We expect this will be completed by the end of 2022 or early 2023. Well, I think the listener now would like to have a little bit more of an insight and background about the greenhouse gas protocol, Pankaj, and uh, to, to explain a little bit, a bit about the background and to, the basic understanding uh, about the greenhouse gas protocol. Can, can you give the history behind and explain what the, really the greenhouse gas protocol is about? Indeed. And, and Kai, you have been part of the history also, uh, and I yes. may hear that reflection in, in this conversation. So WRI and, and WBCST, World Business Council for Sustainable... Maybe you should say about the WSD... WBCST, yes. Yes, yes. that is World Business Council, Business Council for... for Sustainable Development. So yes. the, the, these are the two partners uh, who have co-convened the GHG protocol, uh, WRI, World Resources Institute, and, and World Business Council for Sustainable Development. We came together uh, to co-convene this initiative in late 1990s, uh, when there was clearly a recognized need for an international standard for corporate GHG accounting and reporting. Already there were some companies that had started to account for uh, emissions uh, more than what was expected in, a, in a, a typical practice at that time, which a typical practice was to just focus on your uh, pipe stack emissions that occurs from the, your factories. Uh, but there were a couple of companies like BP uh, and Shell who had started to look into uh, indirect impacts also. So that was a new innovative concept. Uh, in addition to direct emissions, you also look into your supply chain impacts and your downstream impacts. And we saw that companies mostly were not practicing such uh, accountability methods. And so in 1997, uh, both these organizations came to an agreement to launch an NGO business partners partnership to address standardized methods for GHG accounting. Uh, we convened a first steering group that comprised of members from environmental groups uh, such as WWF and at that time Pew Center and also the Energy Research Institute from India represented developing countries and industries such, such as Norsk Hydro was one of the first members and uh, Tokyo Electric, Shell. And so these were the first members of the uh, steering committee that uh, was convened to guide the multi-stakeholder development process the first standard was released in 2001. Um, not many have seen this version. Uh, and, and soon after this was released, uh, there was some uh, uh, feedback that there, there's certain areas, certain important gaps that have to be addressed. So we soon started work on the revised edition uh, and that the revised corporate standard was published in 2004. And this has become the most well-known foundational global standard for business to account for and report corporate footprint across the full value chain, also known as uh, scopes one, two, and three. 
And, and this became also the basis of uh, standard used by CDP, uh, the biggest reporting platform for business uh, carbon footprint, and also the basis for ISO. Since then, uh, we have published a number of global standards, actually. Uh, the, the, after the 2004 standard, we soon started working on project accounting protocol or offset accounting protocol. Uh, that, that was published in 2005. And after that, we uh, soon also in a few years time, of course, following a methodical process to establish the market need and what kind of issues have to be addressed. Then we also released standards on scope two, scope three, a product lifecycle accounting standard, uh, mitigation goals and policy and action standard for countries and policymakers, and most recently for cities, uh, it is called Global Protocol for Cities. So overall, about seven global standards have been published, a number of uh, sector-specific guidance and tools have been published. All of them uh, are provided on, on the GHG Protocol website. I think more than 20 sector-specific tools are there. We've also done a number of training programs which are provided also on the website, e-learning programs, We've also launched a service called Built on GHG Protocol service, which is meant for third-party tools to, sum, to submit their tools that are based on GHG Protocol for validation and, and approval so that they can be also offered along with the, uh, along with the GHG Protocol standards. So yeah. this is, uh, in a nutshell, the history of uh, Greenhouse Gas Protocol. Yeah. As I remember, it was mostly connected to, to corporates in, in the beginning. the global protocol for community scale greenhouse gas emissions inventories, GPC, that provides a framework for accounting and reporting of citywide greenhouse gas emissions. That's uh, what I understand. And can you tell us more about this work, Pankaj? Yes, definitely. Uh, this is a common standard for cities and it was produced in collaboration with a, a number of partners, uh, including ICLI, and uh, C40 and uh, World Bank and uh, UN Habitat Center and WRI. Uh, this standard was released a few years back. Uh, this is being used extensively now by city programs and cities worldwide. By the la latest count that I have in 2020, uh, more than 300 cities were using GPC for their inventories as part of CDP and other programs in, in the C40 program. Uh, there are about 80 C40 cities uh, that are using this uh, protocol. And then ICLI is, uh, has integrated this protocol into their reporting framework. So this has also become a common standard for, for cities. And this has become a basis for what is called city, city level, subnational level climate action planning. A number of uh, cities have uh, uh, done a climate action planning with some targets for them, even net zero targets, and, and this becomes a foundational tool for them. And, and this is what uh, is being used as a common reporting framework, um, also by global convenient of mayors. So this is really an important instrument for cities worldwide, including countries like China and India. They are also uh, adopting and using the city protocol. Uh, we have examples from some cities in China who are not only using it for their tracking emissions, but also setting important net zero goals. So I would say, yeah, this was an important contribution in terms of uh, subnational climate action planning and uh, 
tracking progress towards ambitious goals. Mm. So you offer some sort of uh, online training courses and other activities, because I understand that cities have, uh, from a geographic point of view, a huge area of different types of of activities in 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 the the, the local areas and, and it's involving a lot of different types of companies and and also their own um, activities in the in the city so uh, but uh, you offer sort of training courses to to help them to implement this type of measurement system yes we we offer online training courses actually uh, the online training courses that we offer there are about eight uh, different kinds of training courses that are being offered uh, on corporate standard product lifecycle accounting, scope two mitigation goals standard, corporate value chain policy and action standard, and most recently also uh, for cities. Uh, this training program is being used by global convenient of mayors as part of their online training course designed for mayors, uh, city sustainability officers, the advisors, environmental policy advisors, and city climate planning uh, professionals. Can you say uh, who are the one in the front of this? Is it Europe, Asia, or uh, US? Where do you see the front runners? I think the front runners are mo mostly in Europe. Uh, and I, I would say mainly because of the uh, two reasons. One is ICLE is based in Europe and have, uh, they have been really doing an extensive outreach and adoption program. And also Global Convenient of, of Mayors also has an extensive program. Uh, although I think uh, it has been also now extensively being used in other parts of the world, US, uh, as well as in Asian countries, Latin American countries. Uh, but I, I think Europe is in the front. Well, uh, that I understand that you involve a lot of people in, in, in the work and, and you have a lot of stakeholders around you. And uh, when you when we talk about the greenhouse gas protocol as a whole, and, and how do you involve them in your work? Can you give well, some example on, on that? Well, I think, first of all, I, when you look at the way greenhouse gas protocol standards are developed, it involves a very comprehensive multi-stakeholder process. Uh, these are voluntary standards and, and their success depends on the stakeholder acceptance of the very robust standard requirements. And that actually takes time. It takes a lot of consultations, a lot of conversations with key stakeholders. And, and we bring representation from all uh, key sections of the society, including business who are expected to be the users and they are the most important stakeholders, but also civil society groups, NGOs, uh, experts, because a lot of this accounting is based on technical expertise that is important that we stay, uh, we maintain that accuracy and, and follow the key GAG accounting principles, so experts are there. And government sector is also involved because sometimes we some of these standards could be relevant for future adoption by the government sector. Now, indeed, the starting point, whenever we begin uh, any new the standard development process, we first of all conduct a global market survey. And that involves uh, inputs from all the key stakeholders, including those who are in WRI, WBCSC database and GHG protocol database, about 5,000 members. And, and uh, they are given an opportunity to provide inputs into the decision of the, the, the next standard that should be developed. 
that is a good starting point because there we also begin to ask for their interest and their support and participation. Once that process is completed, then we begin based on the decision that the new standard has to be developed, then we, uh, we begin a process of mapping out who are the key stakeholders who should be involved and, and what are the different criteria that we need to follow in, um, in, in structuring their involvement, because some may be suitable for uh, uh, participation in technical working groups. Uh, based on their expertise and also based on variety of inputs, some we may bring into the advisory group where most of the key political decisions are taken or policy decisions, so to speak, where technical experts are not uh, able to reach an agreement and there are several options. And then, then there are some other groups also that are set up like um, a, a global review group, a global pilot testing group. So these are typically the four stakeholder groups that we set up. And just to, as an example, from the most recent work that we are doing now in the land sector, we have convened more than 100 experts representing diversity of countries and, and different types of impact areas within the land sector, different types of organizations uh, who could uh, represent uh, the views and inputs we're looking for in a global standard. And, and we have three technical working groups uh, land sector technical working group has 30 members, uh, carbon removals technical working group 30 members, and bioenergy technical working group has 25 members. Then we have an advisory committee that has 20 members. Uh, then we have more than 500 members who are part of the review group. And we have more than 100, I think 100 to 150 companies presently who are, who are already who have signed up for the pilot testing. So as you can see that, uh, you know, collectively it's, it's a large process. And I think given the success of our uh, previous standards, it has now become easier for us to bring the stakeholders together in a large number and the scale is much bigger. I remember when the first edition of the standard was developed and we did pilot testing, we had only about 20 companies. And now we are expecting we will have 10 times more number of companies who will be pilot testing the new standard. I know that you have been leading uh, a lot of the international uh, development in the greenhouse gas protocol. And I remember when we in, uh, in July 2006 meet met in Beijing to discuss the implementation of the greenhouse gas protocol in a seminar organized uh, the presentation was in, in uh, together with the business leaders initiative on climate change Blick program world resource institute world business council of sustainable development and the Beijing environment bureau what's your rec recollection of that time and what was happened after this time on the international level I have so many fond reflections of that time. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm so grateful for the opportunity that Kaya, you provided. I so very well remember, I think I think it was in some sometime around 2004, five, when you reached out to WRI and uh, I was appointed the point person on GHG protocol. Uh, first, very important experience of outreach and engagement. And I think you really enabled it so nicely. Um, I also remember that, uh, after uh, the revised edition of the uh, protocols corporate standard was published you were the first one to bring an opportunity for us to go to china 
I had never been to China. Um, we had been uh, successfully uh, conducting outreach and implementation in countries like Mexico, Brazil, uh, I think by that time, Mexico and Brazil, I think. And, and so we had this trip to China. Uh, that was such a uh, path-breaking uh, opportunity because that's when the work in China started. After we did that workshop together in China, uh, I stayed in uh, Beijing for another week or so. I, I took the opportunity <clears throat> of that visit to meet with key officials from the government, uh, visited many government offices, I remember uh, that time. Uh, 2006 and met with a few industry representatives also and it opened up doors for our future work in China and then we were able to launch an industry focused program and that led to a number of industry standards uh, that were adopted by Chinese industry groups actually validated by the government also uh, which were based on GHG protocol work and so yeah it was it was I would say the beginning of the international development of GHG protocol and after that, of course, you know, we really scaled up in a big way through a number of voluntary GHG reduction programs we helped to support and design, including the US EPA Climate Leaders Program, the WWF Climate Savers Program, uh, your Business Leaders Initiative on Climate Change was the first one, but that was served as a model for many other similar programs. We also worked closely with California Climate Action Registry, setting up of the, of the California Climate Action Registry. I was one of the still remember that member of the first committee that was convened in San Francisco to set up that California climate action industry. And that has become now extremely important in the context of uh, trading program in California, World Economic Forum Global Registry, then uh, New Zealand Business Council for Sustainable Development Program. And then also in France, in Taiwan, UK Emission Trading Scheme, Chicago Climate Exchange and EU ETS number of sector specific tools with many different sector associations, including International Aluminium Institute, International Council of Forest and Paper Association, International Iron and Steel Institute, WBCSD Siemens Sustainability Initiative, and IPCA Petroleum Industry Association as well. And everything I think in, in a way culminated, although those were, some of them still continue, but also then ISO standard, which was released uh, 14,064 part one uh, based on greenhouse gas protocol and the CDP uh, program also became uh, an important place for all the work in GHG protocol that came together. So extremely, extremely successful. And uh, now we are here with the, the new land sector and we're looking at similar scale of impact uh, in the coming years. Yeah, we, we are now in, in the 2021 and, and um, it's time to look into um, the next step of the Paris Agreement and the important uh, NDCs, uh, the national determined contribution uh, from nation level. Um, and the decision maker must take this into account by establishing a near and midterm milestone for the pass of net zero emissions, including by setting ambitious 2030 emission reduction target as a part of their NDCs. So, uh, and maybe we will see some part of that in, in Glasgow, but um, uh, what will we see from, um, from World Resource Institute when uh, we think about Glasgow? What's your plan in front of Glasgow? 
So um, first of all, I think on the reflection on the link between GHG protocol and the NDCs and, and long-term strategies that countries are uh, looking at net zero goals also. The greenhouse gas protocol standards, uh, they have two broad categories, one for business and one for government. So we continue to provide additional guidance based on our mitigation goals standard for countries to design more uh, clear, transparent, and robust national goals, goals that are easy to track and understand and also demonstrate progress. Uh, so we continue to provide that input and we will do so also in the COP26 opportunity. Then on the business side of the GAG protocol, we plan to launch its pilot test draft at Glasgow, and we will be releasing it for pilot testing and also broader review. Uh, we clearly see a connection between the business standard and also the national goals. I, I think that there's a role for voluntary markets, uh, particularly with science-based target, uh, targets and net zero targets that businesses are taking. They can contribute to achieve the national goals and, and to even increase the ambition of national goals. And for, for companies to set up those targets uh, effectively, uh, the greenhouse gas protocol standards will serve as a foundation. And so we will be releasing the pilot test draft in, in Glasgow. I, I'm very pleased that I have you as a guest here in Transformers. And thank you very much, uh, Pankaj, for your contribution today. Thank you very much, Kai, for this opportunity. It was such a great conversation and actually it allowed me to reflect back quite a lot. And, and some of it was a journey that was shared with you. So thanks for the opportunity throughout the process of Greenhouse Gas Protocol and also the conversation today. Uh, it was really my pleasure to be part of it and looking forward to the next steps from your side also and to even more similar types of uh, blogs that I find very fascinating on your website. Thank you very much. I'm Kai Embren. Follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn, where I will be announcing the future guests to this podcast. And you can expect about two programs a month. And each guest has a unique story of making business and society sustainable. So find out more. Visit my homepage, kaiembren.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you.